For a long time, there's been this ongoing discussion and question that pops up in our Facebook group. Questions get sent into the podcast all the time, and it is around investing for kids. Now, I know a lot of you have kids. A lot of you might want to put some money aside for your kids for when they get to the age of 18 or more. Maybe you're a grandparent and you've got kids. Maybe you're like me and you've got nephews and a niece and you want to put some money aside for them for a later date. Investing for kids, it's quite a big deep dive. Uh, And just a little bit of background, I've really taken the time to get as much information as possible and make it as simple as possible to understand. Investing for kids, it is probably the most nuanced topic that I've covered and I've even covered private health insurance, am I right? So look, we're going to get deep. We're going to share some examples from other listeners of the community. And I just want to thank Courtney and Hannah for helping me. They're tax professionals. I can't disclose too much of their information, but basically I've got a 12-page Google document, did a whole heap of work, and the girls came in and told me how wrong I was and helped me fix it all. But All that to say, this is one subject matter that if you are going to fully go down this road, you do need to speak to your own professional, whether that is a financial advisor or a tax accountant, just in relation to how it suits your situation and what the future might look like for you and different ways to go about it. I might talk about different products and options uh, and use examples. Uh, This episode has no burned-in sponsor. I have not been paid by any product manufacturer. I've not been paid uh, by anyone. Uh, There are ads that are dynamically inserted into all our episodes. So if you hear this episode and there is, you know, in a year's time, a dynamically inserted ad for a kid's investment platform, and I've mentioned them today, it's a coincidence. I've done this content 100%. Uh, without any commercial input. All that to say, we're going to get into the six ways that you can invest for kids. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money and we are investing for kids. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Before we get into it, I really want to just set the scene with some basic terminology. We'll probably refer to kids as minors going forward because that's the actual term in legislation and with the ATO and whatnot. So we are investing for minors and minors are generally children under the age of 18. And you might not know that technically a minor or a person under the age of 18 is said to be a person under legal disability. So that basically means they're not old enough to make their own decisions. And I'll start with tax rates. And before we even start with tax rates, we need to understand what the ATO calls unearned income. Now, unearned income is effectively ATO talk for passive income. And this income isn't eligible for any type of offsets. 
All right. So when we look at unearned income for miners, the ATO put punitive tax rates on miners. So parents can't, you know, if there are trusts set up that they can't distribute unearned money or passive income to miners and then back to them to save money on tax. So between zero and $416 per year, the tax rate is zero. It's nil, nothing, nada. Between $417 and $1,307, the tax rate is 66%. That's savage, am I right? And finally, a miner earning over $1,307, the tax rate is 45%. And these rates exclude levies. We'll just pause there. $1,307 a year in earnings taxed at 45% if you're a minor. So that's effectively the highest marginal tax rate, right? And this means when you are looking at investing for kids, just the year-on-year investing, is it worth doing in your own name or is it worth another structure? Because the tax rate is high if you're investing for kids in their own name. Wild, right? It's important to also understand what accepted income is. Accepted income is taxed at normal adult tax rates. And we're not going to get into the weeds too much here, but it's just kind of for completeness. And effectively accepted income, it's income from a job, it's income from a testamentary trust, it could be damages from personal injury. And an accepted person is basically all income taxed at adult rates, regardless of the source. They're working full-time or at least three months of a financial year and they are the principal beneficiary of a special disability trust and some other limited circumstances. I'll just carve off for completeness income from a testamentary trust. Look, a testamentary trust forms part of your will. Now, if you've got significant assets, you may want to have a will with testamentary trust provisions. That means if you were to fall off the perch and you wanted to leave money for your kids, that money the income that that money produces would be taxed at the adult rates. So the first $18,200 would be tax-free as opposed to just dying, flicking some money to the kids and then the unearned income that the kids get, it's not in a testamentary trust, would be taxed at 45% effectively from day one. You know, because realistically, $1,300 a year isn't much income if there's significant money. So yeah, That's just a sidebar, testamentary trust provisions. We may actually do a deep dive episode on testamentary trusts, but something to speak to your estate planning professional about. Now, just a warning, those on social security, check with Centrelink on the impacts of all these options. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not on social security, but if you're a grandparent listening to this and you want to have some money for your grandkids or you might be on a disability pension you might be on other government benefits and might have a little bit of money that you want to um, carve off. I'm just flagging that you need to check with Centrelink because these are basically assets that we're talking about. In this episode, I'm not actually going deep on the styles of investing or into the weeds on projections or any fee analysis of individual investments. This episode is a macro view of the six options and we will consider income tax, capital gains tax, advantages, disadvantages and other considerations. 
for each of the six options. And when it comes to financial advice and financial planning, like I am a former financial advisor, so I've been out of the game a long time and I'm probably a bit rusty, but we don't ever just go, what's the best return over the next 10 years? We'll do that. Because you have to consider the tax implications. You have to consider the estate planning implications. You have to consider if we want to transfer assets to other people, the implications on that. So it's a fool's game if you lead with, I don't invest in investment bonds because I reckon you can get a better return doing it in this structure over here. No, you're going the wrong way about it. You've got to look at your own situation. You've got to look at the options that are available and understand the tax implications for each option and the estate planning for each option. Then you can make an unbalanced call. It might mean that this option over here, well, it might have a, a less return because of the tax structure, but it could be on balance better overall for your situation. Or you might say, yeah, I'm aware of these considerations, but I want this option because it's probably most flexible in the future, even if I have to take a bit of a hit along the way, if I need to move that asset to a minor or something like that. So we're not getting into the weeds of projections. We're not getting into the weeds of fee analysis or anything like that. There's an episode on the My Millennial Investor podcast, and we'll put a link in the show notes where Nick Bradley, the host, actually talked about how to make a kid a millionaire. And he really does talk about starting with small amounts of money and goes through the compounding interests and how wild it is if you started small and invested for your kids. So just a flag there. Some other general comments. Australia does not have any rules or caps on gifting of cash or assets within taxation law, unlike other countries. It's solely up to the individual as to what is gifted to another person or entity. Now, there may be rules around gifting under legislation, such as government benefits and Centrelink, or state-based stamp duty that might be payable. So, for example, if you are gifting a property, that may attract stamp duty. This discussion does not directly address gifting upon death. So, for example, bequeathment of funds or assets in a will. And it should be noted that such occasions can have very different tax implications than what is discussed here. So, that's just a flag that we will touch on some estate planning considerations, but we're not getting into the weeds of that because it is another can of worms. Now, I also assume in this discussion that all individuals and entities are Australian tax residents. If your circumstances include foreign tax residency, this discussion might not be applicable to you as the tax implications in respect of tax residency can be very different to what is discussed here. And I am just really taking the time and setting the, the groundwork as best as I can. So that's why I'm not in any rush with this episode. And I know that you'll value the level of detail that we will uh, endeavour to get into. So that being said, I just want to finish around tax file numbers and kids. We'll put a link in the show note to the ATO website, which details tax file numbers for kids and some examples of when you might need to quote a tax file number and the differences with the child's age. And the reason that I just want to flag this is because this is all to do with if you open a bank account for a kid and the amount of money that is in there, it's really no different conceptually to an adult bank account. So just forget the minors for a moment. If you've got a bank account and you don't give them 
the bank your tax file number, they'll just withhold the maximum amount, 47%. And then if you want to get that back, you do a tax return, give them your tax file number, they will match up your account and the interest withheld to your tax file number and refund any overpaid tax if your tax rate wasn't 47%, including the levy. So the reason I'm just flagging this now, and I'll put a link in the show notes, is because there are some different rules for banks and amounts that are withheld from savings account depending on their age. So this crap is like, it's so bloody complex already and we haven't even started. For example, if your child is any age and they earn less than $120 per year from a savings account, their financial institution will not withhold tax. Less than 16-year-old and earns between $120 and $420 from a savings account per year and provides their date of birth and a tax file number, the financial institution will not withhold tax and they don't need to lodge a tax return. However, if they don't provide their date of birth or a tax file number, the financial institution will withhold withholding tax at 47% and then they need to lodge a tax return if they want to get a refund. So just while that, don't get too stressed out with that because all this will become more apparent when we get into the, the six different options. And all that to say, you can set up a tax file number for a child at any age. Pretty cool, hey? So you've just got to remember, if the minor earns more than $416, you must lodge a tax return on their behalf. However, <laughs> however, if your child earns $416 or less, you might want to lodge a tax return on their behalf if too much PAYG tax was withheld from a banking institution or if they do have some shares, you might want to get a refund for the franking credits, right? So... That's just a bit of um, info around TFNs, miners and accounts. And I will just give one brief preliminary example. Any of this stuff that we're talking about, it really doesn't change the tax laws and the tax facts and you know it doesn't change gravity too much if it is in the name of a miner because when it comes to capital gains tax, generally speaking, you just got to remember, and this will be kind of thread all the way through this discussion, it all comes down to who the beneficial owner is. In almost every case, if there is a change to the beneficial owner of an asset, this triggers a disposal. Now, when we say a disposal of an asset, that is selling an asset. So if you held 100 CBA shares and you disposed 100 CBA shares, you are selling 100 CBA shares. And like I said earlier, a change in a beneficial owner isn't only an event for CGT, uh, it may trigger stamp duty that the new owner may need to pay. And that could be, you know, selling or gifting a house to another family member. So I wish my family gave me a house. All right. That's my notes and I've got lots of them. Let's get into it. The first option that you've got to invest for miners is in your own name. So you can set up a dedicated account with a bank on an investment platform, an offset account, which might be just separate over there, a share brokerage account, or just continue to build wealth in your own name without any mention of the minor. So the rationale here is healthy parents, healthy kids, or strong kids, strong parents, or some feel-good book for parenting and all that stuff. Like if you are financially secure yourself, your kids will get the benefit of that at some stage. So basically you're just building wealth. And if the time comes that you want to give some money to your kids, well, you can do that. 
the time comes and the kids are a little rat bag, you don't want to give them any money, you don't have to. So we're just building wealth. So let's go over the tax on income. So we'll use the example that the investment is in your own name and it's a notional type of kids account. So you've set up a separate bank account or a separate offset account. It's for your child or children. And all it is, is I've just quarantined a bit of money over there and I've just flagged it for one kid or two kids. It could be an investment account where I'm just going to keep shoveling money in this as I have more kids, that money will grow. And as time goes on, when all three of them are over 18, I'll then just carve it up and give it away and you know go from there. And it's no different when you're investing in your own name, if you do want to have a designated account just for your own quarantining purposes, it'd be no different than having, oh, I've got an account here for shoes and handbags and my boat there. Like it's literally just another account or another investing account that you just have and you've mentally flagged it for your minors. So the tax on income, it's taxed on your tax return at adult marginal rates. The income is taxed on top of other income. So if your investments or whatnot, quote unquote, for the kids or for the minors, had 20 grand of income that year and you earned 80 grand of income, your whole tax return, you'd be taxed on $100,000 of income. You don't need a tax file number for the child in this regard. And franking credits and foreign income tax offsets available for an adult to claim in their personal tax return. So capital gains tax, an adult carries this on their tax return at their own marginal tax rates. The CGT discount is available where the shares or the investments are held for more than 12 months and the losses can be carried with the adult's TFN forevermore. Amen. Remember that theme, beneficial change of ownership if the time comes where you've got an investment account that has $100,000 in it because you've saved lots of lots of money for your beloved child and then you're like, well, you're 25 now, I'll give this share investment account to you because it's been in your name, the income's been on your tax return throughout the year, any rebalances or whatnot, the CGT's all been on you, you are disposing that asset and you're gifting it to the child. The advantages for this are it's flexible and low hassle. Like it is the most flexible way and the least hassle way to go about it. The funds can be used for anything that might come up and it really doesn't need to be quarantined or for use for the child or by the child. Uh, You can literally do what you want with it. The disadvantages, transferring assets to kids will attract CGT, which as we just said, the beneficial change of ownership will occur. This doesn't occur with cash. So if you've just got... 100 grand that's growing and sitting on your offset account and then your child turns 18 and you're like, you know what, I'm going to give you 20 grand now so you can go to Europe or here's uni paid for up front. There's no CGT uh, with cash. And the only other disadvantage for this type of scenario using your own name is estate planning will need to be considered to ensure any wishes are noted. Otherwise, the money, quote unquote, flagged for minors may go directly to your spouse or other parties. So if you did have that dedicated bank account, or if you did have that dedicated share account or brokerage account or investment app that there's two grand in that, you know it's for your child. You die the next day, that money just forms part of your estate. So again, as I'm kind of going through all these options, I really want you to be having a think about your own estate planning. Like what do you want to happen 
if you check out early or at any time, really. Now, some other considerations for investing in your own name, you might choose to have the account held in the lower income earning spouse's name and a joint account is possible too, because remember, it's just another type of account. If there is a joint investing account or a joint bank account, it's 50-50 and any income would be paid 50% to each of the adult's tax return. And by definition, even if you had a brokerage account or a bank account, these accounts are joint accounts, not tenants in common. And really quickly, an example, we'll just use the example of a house because it's very common with um, property purchases. If two people owned a house 50-50 and it was joint tenants and one of those people died, the surviving owner would automatically receive the other share of the house. If it's tenants in common and one person died, that person who died, their share would flow through to their estate and be governed by their will and the other person may need to buy out the estate or the house is to be sold so the proceeds can be split. So if you are setting up a joint uh, bank account or a joint investment account with your spouse, um, you just need to know it's probably joint tenants. You may chat with the brokerage provider or the platform. They may have an option before you start putting any money in it to make a flag that it is tenants in common. Now, if you are investing for grandkids in your own name and you are approaching age pension eligibility, you need to check the gifting rules and asset limits at the time because there are rules with gifting assets to people over a five-year period. At the moment, you can gift up to $30,000 over five years, but it can't be more than $10,000 in a single financial year. Yeah, you basically just need to understand that if it is in your own name and you are approaching age, pension age, and you had some money for grandkids, well, you need to know that you can't really gift more than $30,000 without it being deemed as an asset that you still own. So you've just got to check Centrelink. And finally, this notion of investing for kids in your own name, the black and white is you are just investing for you. If you want to set up a separate account, so it's a notional quarantine flagged account that, you know, it's just for the kids. That's fine, but it's ultimately your assets. You might just choose to pay down your mortgage with extra repayments, you know, in a redraw or an offset or anything like that, if gifting in the future is desired. So that's another consideration. But I want you to also think outside the box like Natalie has done. And Natalie is investing in her own name. This is how she's done it. So let's have a listen to Natalie. So we've made an active decision not to invest directly in our children's names, but to use super as our investment vehicle for our children. Um, There are many reasons for that. Firstly, um, thanks Glenn James, having our financial house in order. Uh, It didn't kind of make sense for us to be uh, setting up investments for kids when we still have a mortgage um, and are still trying to establish ourselves. What if their investments did better than ours and we were struggling to pay for the mortgage or school fees um, yet had thousands of dollars in ETFs uh, in our kids' name that we didn't feel the, um, that we had the right to touch? It just didn't make sense to us. And then secondly, we feel our job is in terms of finance, our job as parents is to be A, financially secure enough to give them a stable and happy childhood, B, to give them richness through experiences, extracurricular activities and travel, 
and see to teach them um, about financial responsibility um, and the miracle that is compound interest. I got my first job at 14 and my mum taught me to put away at least half of my income um, from the get-go and what you never had you you don't miss and um, I think that's really important to teach your kids. And D, I suppose it's our responsibility to look after our finances so that they don't have to worry about us in, in our dotage in our old age. And after all of that, if we can look after all of that for our children and we're in a position to be able to help them, and we aim to be, um, you know, we'd like to be able to help them when they need it the most, when they're at the most expensive stages of life, trying to build themselves up to buy a house, to start a family, etc. We're fortunate, not so fortunate. I'm not sure that we had children slightly later in life. Um, so at our preservation age of 60, our kids will be 22 and 25. It's a perfect time for us to be able to help them um, into their first house or investment. The exact amount that we'll give them is yet to be determined. Um, who knows how investments will perform um, and how much they'll need. Um, but we'll take stock at that point and aim to give our girls as much as possible um, when it's most meaningful in their lives. It's kind of that die with zero mentality. We only want to keep enough um, to sustain our hopefully exciting and um, you know well-travelled um, retirement. Um, but we don't want to hold on to extra money. I would rather give it to the girls when it is most impactful for them. Okay, thanks, Natalie. Now, before I get on to the second way to invest, what you could do if you are over that, say, age 40 and you may have that 20-year runway, you could actually set up a second superannuation account and put a small amount in there or contribute to that one just for the kids. So at least it's quarantine for your own sanity I mean, you might not choose to do that, but that's also an option to run a second superannuation account. You might have it as a higher growth option than your main assets. You won't have any insurance in there. And depending on what your estate planning situation is, that second account, you might have the children as 100% beneficiary, which is binding, as opposed to your main superannuation account being to your spouse directly or to your will. Right. The second way to invest is an informal trust arrangement. But this is kind of, I'm on a bank website at the moment. And remember how I said that there was some rules with the ATO around tax and whatnot? Well, part A to this is if a kid is over 11 and under 18, kids in this age range can open an account at any branch. So this is just one of the banks, right? They can walk in, open an account, it's in their own name. But kids under 11 will need a parent or guardian to open up their account for them. So I just want to flag in this section with an informal trust arrangement, when it comes to minors, there is a little weird carve out with just bank accounts and having bank accounts for minors. And you can go to your, and do it as a bit of a research thing, go to your regular bank's website who you bank with and just see if they have minor accounts and just see the couple of the options. But what I want to say in this section, because kids can't have investments under the age of 18 in Australia or shares, when we talk about informal trust arrangements, we are talking about shares basically, or uh, bank accounts for those under 11 years old. So as I said, this stuff, it is complex and it is confusing. So an informal trust, accounts are set up to have a designation to the minor. So the bank account, the investment platform or brokerage account, it will have your name 
and then the miner's name as the designation. So it could be Glenn James and then in brackets, Glenny James Jr. account, close brackets. So there is no trust deed or a dedicated bank account for the trust as it's informal with the account holder or parent being over 18 years old controlling the money for the benefit of the minor. This can also be a bank account dedicated to the minor. So what I'm getting at there is you can have a investing account that's on an informal trust and you don't actually have to have a bank account for the trust because it's an informal arrangement where when we get into having a formal trust, generally speaking, a formal trust, it's a company, it will have its own bank account. So let's just talk about tax on income. A tax file number is needed for the minor. So I just want to pause here. There are so many comments that I've seen online where people have set up investment accounts for kids through some of the products, and we'll talk about them later in the episode, and they either haven't set up a TFN for the minor or they haven't done tax returns for the minor. You've got to be really, really careful when you are setting up an informal trust. And I'll share some examples with some of the kids' investment apps that I've been looking at. You've just got to be really careful and make sure that you are crossing your I's and dotting your T's. So the tax on income, the TFN is needed for the minor. This income is taxed at the high minor rates. If the income each year is over $416 or you wish to claim Franken credits or other credits such as foreign income tax offsets, a tax return will need to be filed. So before we move on, I just want to have some rough numbers. And this is why you might resolve just to kind of build wealth in your own name until you got a bit of a critical mass and then go down this informal trust road. Because if you've got to do a tax return for the minor each year, there's going to be an additional cost to that if you're using a tax account. However, if you had $5,000 invested and it was earning 6% per year, you know, that's $300. That is still under the threshold of $416. You don't technically need to do a tax return, but I think it's best practice to have a TFN for the minor, have the minor's TFN in the designated account, and then each year make the judgment call. If you had $10,000 earning 6% per year, that's $600. So you ticked over and you need to be doing a tax return for the minor. This stuff is just, it's really confusing. And we'll put a link in the show notes to a blog post with all this stuff in writing as well. So the capital gains tax, it will fall on the minor's tax file number. So the CGT discount is available if the shares or investment is held for more than 12 months, then sold. You know, you might hold some shares in the minor account each year you're doing the tax return, their TFN is there and it's all Gucci baby. Uh, then you decide, oh, we're going to sell this investment because it's and we it's a dog or something and we want to go another way and there is a tax event, get the CGT discount that goes on the miner's name. So a lot of the things that are happening at the moment is people are setting up kids' investment accounts. They're only using their own TFN and they're saying that this money is an informal trust for the minor. However, that income from that minor account is being on the adult's tax file number and on the adult's income. So it goes back to the primary benefit. Well, whose money is it? You're claiming the income on your tax return. 
but isn't it for the miner? Why isn't the miner claiming that income on their tax return? I'm probably going to be controversial to say a lot of people who have kids' investment accounts, they're not doing it the right way. And that's why this is so important and so confusing, but you just have to get it right. Another reason why you would want to put the TFN for the miner into the investment account, if possible, is just for data matching with the ATO. Otherwise, if you put your tax file number, which is okay in the first instance, the ATO will maybe query you with a please explain. Then you can just say, hey, the reason why it's an informal trust for the miner, that income is going on the miner's tax return. What are the advantages for an informal trust arrangement? I think one of the advantages are it's dedicated for a miner. This alone could keep you from touching it more so than an account in your name that's a notional account for a miner, where this is actually for the miner. The cost base of the shares or investment does not change or trigger a CGT event when the miner turns 18 and is transferred to their own name. Remember what we said at the start, beneficial change of ownership, setting up an investment account for a two-year-old with a two-year-old's tax file number each year, that two, three, four, five-year-old is doing a tax return with their tax file number. At age 18, you change that account over to their name, might be an in-specie transfer behind the scenes, a tweak of an account, but because the beneficial change of ownership hasn't occurred, it's the same person who's benefiting from it, it does not trigger a disposal or a CGT event. Now, another advantage could be low-cost investment options if using an index ETF via a brokerage account. But you don't get away from the fact that if you are using a brokerage account and not a platform, you're going to have to keep year-on-year tax records for this miner's account because dividends, when they're paid out, that's declared as income. When they're reinvested, you've got to track that because it's a purchase of a new parcel. Another advantage is it could be a great way to engage with the miner and have them contribute their own income when they start working. So over time, age appropriately, you will start to talk to the miner about investing, blah, blah, blah. Hey, when you start working, we're going to make sure every time you work, we're going to put 10% at least of your income into this investment account because we are growing wealth for you and this is how it all works. Now, the disadvantages of an informal trust could be the cost or hassle to do a tax return for the miner each year. Like, it just could be a non-starter. It could be potentially a higher tax rate than the adult. And that's what you got to look at. So a miner, effectively, if you transfer a lump of money over to a, an account that you're going to invest for a miner, over $1,307 a year of income for that miner is taxed at 45% excluding levies So we're getting up to 47%. Is that higher than your marginal tax rate? These are things you've got to really think about if you're going to do it the right way. As I said, there are a lot of people and I put a question up in the Facebook group that basically said, oh, are you investing for kids? How are you doing it? Everyone was saying their stuff. I just kept asking people, do you have a TFN for the kid? Are you declaring the income on the kid's name? Because that's what you have to do. The disadvantages continue. Uh, there's more paperwork, so that's just a, you know, more paperwork in my world isn't an advantage. Now, this is a big one. This is a red flag here. 
it may cause issues if you start using the money. Now, whether that's for your own purchases, say, is like, oh, crap, I'm short of money this week. I need to pay rent and then I'll buy some groceries and then in two weeks I'll pay that money back. Or even, get this, if that minor account is invested as an informal trust with the account designation, you have a TFN on that account, you do a tax return every year in the miner's name, even if you use that money to pay private school fees for that actual child because it's considered an expense for the adult and it's not an education bond. And all this could mean it could effectively mess with the cost base for CGT when transferring it to the child when they turn 18 because we've got to remember, beneficial change of ownership. Who really owned the money if you were taking money out of that account to buy groceries, rent or whatever, oh, new lounge needed, oh, we'll just get that money from the kid's minor account, we'll pay it back, it's all good. Even though you are doing the tax file number for the minor and the tax return for the minor, beneficial change of ownership, this money is for the minor. Adding conditions to the child accessing the funds. So as they start to get older, you can be like, yeah, you've got this account here. We do the tax return each year. When you graduate year 12, we may uh, release that money and give you $1,000. Now, this may impact who is considered to control the funds and therefore who is taxed on the earnings, right? So you've just got to pick a lane and keep it straight, particularly if you are using these informal trust arrangements. And a lot of these investment products and apps now, they're having these little tack-on kids accounts. They make it so easy. I can tell you, I reckon nine out of 10 people are not doing it the right way. But that's okay. We're here now and we're going to learn. Some other considerations when it comes to an informal trust arrangement. This option is the murkiest in terms of ATO guidance. Like it is straight up a nightmare. Another option that you will probably consider for this one because you'll need to do a tax return each year once you get over that 417 a year is consider high growth and low yield investments to minimize dividend income. So you could, in theory, invest a million dollars for the benefit of the miner into a startup company. And that company just doesn't pay dividends each year. It's just going to the moon, baby. It's just growing, growing, growing. Doesn't pay dividends at all. So you don't have to declare income and get penalized. So with your child investing, when it's an informal trust arrangement and you've got to do a TFN for the child and a tax return for the child each year with, when you get some significant amounts of money coming in, because the income is taxed at effectively the highest marginal tax rate, can you consider low yield investments? So I'll just drum home again, another consideration. It is best practice to create a TFN for the miner and add it to the uh, bank account, the brokerage account or the investment platform where possible. It will also create a stronger link that it is an informal trust arrangement because when we look at formal trusts later, like they are a formal document, it's its own entity and all that stuff. So, Many, you know, of these minor investment accounts linked to popular investment platforms do not ask for the TFN of the minor. And while it's still set up as an informal trust, the income is often declared on the adult's tax return. This may not be ideal and speaks to the confusion and complexity of the matter with information available from the ATO and trust law in general. 
there was one kids investment app. So there was a couple that I've done a little bit of research on. It's a very popular investment app. I emailed them and asked them, and you know, these are the heads of the company. And they replied, one of them replied to invest with, insert company, investors must be 18 and over for minor accounts offering all tax details, including a TFN, must connect to the adult holder until the child is 18 and the account is legally transferred over. And then they said, you can find out more information here. So they just sent me a link. I'm just opening the link in real time. Anyway, the long and the short of it was that this platform didn't have the feature to add a minor's tax file number. So that would mean on this platform, if you add a minor account, you'd have to get that statement each year and put that on the kid's tax return, make sure it's not auto-filled over to your tax return. Another one, and this is how amazing some support teams are, they don't even know their own product, but that's another thing. Uh, (laughs) I wrote in and they said, hey, thanks for reaching out. You were given the option to add a tax file number for your kid's account. If you need assistance, we can help you this over the phone. And then I said, thanks, can it be a different TFN like the child's one or does it have to be the same TFN as the adult? Thanks for your reply. That's, however, up to you. If you don't have a TFN entered, the TFN on the adult account will be used for the kid's account. Any questions, let us know. And I said, can you please tell me where on the app I can add the child's TFN because I can't bloody find it? They wrote back, hi, Glenn. I've taken a look into this. It appears there is no way to add a TFN for the kid's account. However, we can add a TFN from our end. Uh, So basically in investment app land, I think there's a couple of things happening here. It's different than a brokerage account because brokerage accounts, you know, they're their own HIN, their own dedicated account, really easy to just set up a minor account as an informal trust arrangement. Because these investment accounts, they're a platform, they basically just duplicate, have a second account that you use for kids. But at the end of the year when they send the reports, if the platform allows you to put a TFN on that sub-account, in theory, that should feed to the ATO. If not, you have to um, put that information on the kids' account. So I had a bit of a wild time getting some uh, real research in the field for this issue. And finally... With an informal trust arrangement, you know, if the adult's income is in the highest marginal tax rate, you know, it probably is prudent just to do an informal trust. And this all goes back to your own situation. If you're reading someone online saying, oh, you just got to set up a kid's investment account and you got to do this and you got to do that. You know, if they don't know what the frigging hell they're doing, it could be worse off for you if you're not in the highest marginal tax rate. So the question is, is it worth doing an informal trust with an investment for a minor if you yourself are not in the highest marginal tax rate? You're smart. Only you can answer that. Do you want to pay more tax, quote unquote, on your family's money just to have some money set aside for little Johnny or little Mary? I don't know. It's up to you. We'll end that little uh, option there. Here's what Sean's doing with his money. So thanks, Sean. Hi, Glenn and M3 community. I'm really keen to learn more about how to invest smart for my children. Uh, My strategy so far has been from the day that each of my kids were born, I've been putting a small portion of my fortnightly salary away for them. So far, this has just been in cash in a bank account under my name. 
Um, the intention is that once this builds to a reasonable amount, I will then invest that into an appropriate ETF or investment vehicle, which then I'll continue to keep adding to. Um, my hope is that one day they will continue to add to it, and once I'm long gone, they will have greater financial security from that investment, and ideally that investment would have grown through compounding over the 30, 40, 50 plus years, whatever that is. This is my way of instigating generational wealth growth for my uh, future generations, and I hope they appreciate it. Thanks, Sean, and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I am back, baby. Option three, an investment bond. And we're just including an education bond in this section. But this technically falls under the life insurance category. And they they used to be called insurance bonds. Now, just a bit of history on this. A million years ago, the life companies, they set up these life insurance bonds, right? And part of the bond would be a life insurance policy. And the other part of the bond would be a savings account, right? And then what you would do is... At a young age, you would contribute money into the bond, the life insurance bond. What happened is as you contribute money and while you're young, the cost of death cover isn't that much. So you keep contributing money, money grows in that insurance bond in the savings account. And then as you get older, the cost of the life insurance is getting more, but you don't have to put heaps more in because it's drawing the money from the savings account that you contributed years ago. Anyway, these products are rubbish. They just really were. And then if if someone died, sometimes the products would pay out the savings amount and the death cover. Other products would just pay the life insurance out. So you've wasted all this money. But the good thing is the use of technology, these structures are still available. And when you hear an investment bond, it's the same shell as the old school insurance bonds, but 
inside the structure, it's just an investment account. And instead of it just being a crappy cash investment, a lot of the investment bond providers have a full suite of investment options. And the advantage of these things we'll get into, but that's just the long and the short of the history of insurance bonds, aka investment bonds, including education bonds. So so it's purchased in the adult's name, and that could be a parent, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, and it sits outside of their own affairs and it's internally taxed at the company tax rate. So the company tax rate in Australia is 30%. So we know that all income that comes into a company or profit rather is taxed at 30%. So ordinarily, if there was a distribution from an ETF, for example, right, you'd get a statement from that provider and there would be parts of that dividend or distribution part of that distribution at the end of the financial year that will say there's a portion here that is a capital gain that's been sold off when we've rebalanced the portfolio and those capital gain events would ordinarily flow through to your tax file number if you were a personal investor. Now, in the company world, nah, income equals 30%. Nah, tax, 30%. You do not get to halve the gain if you've held it over 12 months and be taxed at the marginal tax rate of the company at 30%. It's literally no CGT in companies. And that's why investment bonds, it's just a big chisel, basically. It's basically just 30% tax year on year, any income, 30% tax. doesn't matter if there's um, components in there that are a part of a, a sale that has flown through as distributions from managed funds or ETFs and all that stuff. So... That's what you've got to know. Now, there are some tax optimization things with franking credits that can happen, but that's what you need to know in terms of company tax rate, 30%. And a lot of people say that they're not tax effective because of this. Well, hang on. Firstly, what is most appropriate for your situation? Then we look at the scenarios and then we make an on-balance call. Basically, they're internally taxed at the company tax rate. So you don't put any of these details on your own tax return. And the adult would elect a minor as a beneficiary, and this is non-binding. The adult owner may also list their intention for the money to be used, might be for a house deposit after the age of 25, and this will be a note on the file should the adult die prematurely. A practical example, I've got three investment bonds for my two nephews and niece, and the reason I've decided to use an investment bond for them is one, the estate planning portion. So if I die tomorrow, that money's automatically just set up on the side for them as a beneficiary. I've put a note on there that it is for a, um, a house or a car or broadening your life experiences or whatever that is. I actually forget. I need to refresh my memory. It was a while when I set this up. So when I die, the kids have little investment accounts for them. And they could withdraw it the next day and go, all right, it's party time and all that. And that's why I don't have a huge amount of money for the easy investment bonds, but go with me. And then the advantage is if one of the kids turns into a rat bag and ends up in freaking jail or something like that, I'll be like, yeah, I don't reward stupidity. So I'm taking your name off the bond as a beneficiary. Then it just becomes Glenn James's extra bond. So it's really flexible in that way. Like, 
year on year, it's internally taxed. I don't have to put it on my tax return and it's flexible. And recently I was actually with my niece, Grace, and for the first time I sat down and showed her the investment and yeah, I just kind of walked her through that, look, this is the intention for you and this is why I don't buy you Christmas and birthday presents because I'm just putting some money in here each month. And, you know, if you're a rat bag, well, I'll just take your name off it. It's, it's up to you. So basically, it's just an option. So the tax on the income, it's internally taxed with the bond at company tax rate. And the maximum tax is 30%. But the tax would be well less than 30% due to the internal franking credits of what investments that you might use. And there's no need to put it on your own tax return. So in terms of CGT, if the bond is held for over 10 years, once money comes out of that, there's no tax at all. So you've got to hold these for 10 years, each year, internally taxed, company tax rate, blah, 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 in 10 years time, ta-da, there's your money tax-free. Now, what are the advantages? I think with investment bonds, the advantage versus disadvantage pendulum actually swings the most between all these options. The advantages are it's a one-stop shop. It's basically an automated investment platform. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. It's dedicated to the miner. There's no need to add it to any tax return and the miner does not need a tax file number. It falls outside of one's estate and is good for estate planning. Many providers have a variety of investment options and if you change your mind, you can remove the miner as a beneficiary and it becomes your bond. The disadvantages of an investment bond, it may not be seen as tax effective as other investments because of this whole CGT thing. And kind of how you work it out, each year when it gets income, it's just taxed. When you get statements right from your ETFs at the end of the year, there will be a whole heap of like CGT stuff and all that you put in the different components of your tax return. With these investment bonds, it's all just like 30% each year coming to tax rate. You can't kind of just build up and then in a few years delay the tax. And that's why there's a discussion that it isn't as tax effective because you kind of can't delay the tax until you dispose like you can do outside. And that means effectively throughout the life, if there was two investments, ordinary money and an investment bond, the ordinary money just keeps growing because there's been less CGT paid year on year. So that money compounds where the investment bond doesn't grow as rapidly because it's taxed each year. Anyway, you can see where I'm going with it. You can only add 125% of the previous year to the account each year. A second bond can be added though if you want to add a higher amount as over 125% contribution of the previous year will reset the 10-year rule. The costs are higher than say a direct brokerage account. So you'll pay a platform fee and an investment fee. I think the bonds that I have, the investment, I've got a multi-asset investment in there. I think it's VDHG. I think it's like 0.6 something uh, where you might get that investment in ordinary money for 0.2. But again, I'm paying for that platform. I'm paying for the estate planning and I'm paying for the flexibility. So you get what you pay for sometimes. But other considerations with the investment bond, it could be considered the most appropriate option for aunts and uncles and grandparents because it's just, there you go, it's a bond. I can put money into it. I can show the kids it's growing, it's invested. 
I've got a nomination on the account. I don't have to worry about it. So it could be seen as the most appropriate option for uncles and aunts and grandparents. Remember to consider your annual transfers against the initial capital. So that initial capital really will set that 125 rule for the additional contributions each year. And other members of the family might also contribute with ease, providing that the 125% rule is considered. Now, education bonds, I'm not going into them hugely, but the TLDR is, it's basically the same as everything we've just said about an investment bond. However, tax is rebated when the money is used for education costs, uniforms, travel, living away from home expenses. But if you are looking at this education bond thing, consult an investment bond provider for the specific details about the products that they have and how those things work. I don't see too many of these in the wild, but hey, it's an option. I think a lot of the times people just kind of go, well, if I want to pay for kids' education, I'll just save up with our offset account or invest in our own name. But um, yeah, you can look up, up education bonds. They're basically the same as an education bond. All right. So the fourth option that you can do to build wealth for your kid, and this is a wild one, it's using superannuation in their own name. There is no mention in superannuation law that there is a minimum age requirement for a retirement savings account to be opened. Money can be contributed as after-tax non-concessional contributions, and this would fall in line with the non-concessional caps of the day. A parent would need to open a superannuation account on behalf of the child. Some super funds might not offer this option. So you've got to remember, superannuation funds, they're outside of your estate their money, the money is on trust and they are the trustee. In the case of a self-managed super fund, the deed would need to specifically allow those under legal disabilities, remember what we talked about earlier, which is a minor, to be members and to be able to make contributions. The super fund would be in the child's name and a date of birth would be provided along with a tax file number. A tax file number isn't required but I just think it's best practice to set one up. Like if you're going to the trouble of setting up a super account for little Mary or little Johnny, I need to think of some new names like that are young kids' names. Oh, I had friends, I had babies. Oh, I forget their names. Literal. Nah, jokes. Uh, nah. But tax on income. It's taxed internally at the superannuation rate of 15%. Capital gains tax. Superannuation trusts receive a 33.33% discount for capital gains tax. The advantages of using a super fund, it is the most effective long-term investment available due to the money growing in a tax-effective environment. The money could be used for the first home super saver scheme, the FHSS, in the future. This is easy for parents, grandparents and aunts or uncles to contribute money to. And there's no need for any information on parents' tax return, nor is a tax return required for the minor. Because remember... Superannuation, it's money that's on trust for a person. It sits outside of your estate. Now, there are some disadvantages to this as well, and that could be legislative risk. The rules may change over the long term in terms of contribution caps, preservation age, taxation rates, etc. And the biggest you know, disadvantage is the money is not available for anything other than a condition of release, and that could be attaining preservation age, which is currently age 60, could be disability, the first home super saver scheme, compassionate grounds. The child might not be as engaged with learning about their investments due to the ultra long time horizon. 
and low balances may have a disproportionate impact from fees eating into the capital base of the account. So another consideration for a super account for a minor is, you know, it might only be used for high net worth families for future asset protection and the fees may be higher for a super account than a brokerage account in their name or your name, but the tax savings may offset this fee. So you've got to remember, a super account is a platform. It is an investment platform. There is accounting that takes place. The trustee manages that money on behalf of the member. And there would be no reason under the sun not to have anything but a high growth investment option, I would imagine, given that the child might be three years old and can't access it for 60 years. But hey, look, there are some super funds that offer accounts for kids, so that could be an option. Let's have a listen to Yvonne, who actually is doing this right now. It's fascinating to listen to. Thanks, Yvonne. Hi, Glenn. My name's Yvonne. I'm a 57-year-old grandmother of one, and my daughter and I decided that it would be nice for her son to have a superannuation. Now, at only a few months old, all she needed to do was apply for, it's called Join Australian Retirement Trust for Under-15s, if you wanted to search for it, and she had to apply for his tax file number. It's a little bit of an experiment, I guess, in compounding interest. So the idea being that, you know, a few thousand dollars over 60 years or whatever the rules end up being, maybe is a nice handy amount for him to have. Now, whilst, of course, you can't touch it and there might be times where you would think that he would like to have some money in the meantime, because of the power of compounding, we're not actually talking about a huge amount of money. It might be the same as someone perhaps buying a laptop for their child or helping out with a first car. So we could, of course, help out with other things along the way if we decided to do that. But this is a little bit of an education for him and for us to basically put our money where our mouth is and sort of say, let's see what a little bit of or a lot of compounding actually looks like. I think as time goes on, he would be pretty excited and uh, very happy to have it. All right. The fifth way that you can invest for your nearest and dearest spawn is a formal trust. So this trust is set up with a deed drafted by a lawyer. This would list the miner as the primary beneficiary and perhaps other considerations for the use of the money. The trust will likely need a tax file number and bank account the investment platform, brokerage account or other bank account will be set up in the name of the trust. An actual person or a corporate trustee company with an adult as the director would control the trust as per the trust deed. So this is basically the same as a family discretionary trust. So let's have a look. The tax on income. A TFN and likely an ABN would be needed for the trust. Trusts don't pay tax. So trusts each year distribute profit, Right to beneficiaries. And then the beneficiaries pay tax at their marginal tax rates. So effectively, the trust would distribute to the miner and the miner would pay tax at their own marginal tax rate, aka 47%, because it's a punitive amount and it's unearned income. And obviously, this would require the miner to have a tax file number two. So the capital gains tax, this would flow through to the miner, aka the beneficiary, and be taxed at marginal tax rates of the minor, aka the beneficiary. Some advantages. 
a separate dedicated entity. So this is the real deal, people. You're effectively starting a company <laughs> that has a trust for your kids. It's probably off the table for $2,000, but it might be on the table if there is significant wealth, over 100 grand, over 200 grand, that can be put there. The money doesn't need to be transferred when the minor turns 18 as they would just become an adult beneficiary and income tax at the adult marginal tax rates. How that works, the adult now is 18 years old, they're earning 70, 80 grand a year, whatever, their new grad job and any income they receive just falls on their marginal tax rate. The disadvantages, I mean, this is complex with lots of admin and you might need some bookkeeping software because you're effectively starting a company. It will need annual tax returns for the trust and also the beneficiary, which is the minor. Uh, there's high cost setting up and drafting trust deeds, so it could be a couple of grand to get all this happen. And you may have significant tax implications if not done correctly. So undistributed income tax in the trustee's hands, family trust elections, all that stuff. So other considerations for this one, this may be reserved for the higher or ultra high net worth individuals and families, uh, and it may uh, fall into broader estate planning discussions. This formal trust is probably going to be the least appealing option for many of you because it's just wild to, you just have to have so much money to do so. The sixth way to invest for kids is investing in experiences. So forget feeding kids fish, show them how to catch fish. Many people are now deciding rather than just amassing money for their kids as a gift to spend that money on family experiences. This could be annual holidays overseas, around Australia or monthly activities. It could also be after school sports or learning another language or instrument. You may set up another bank account or offset account dedicated to family expenses. So that would just be on your own name. In this situation, the tax on the income, it's your money, so it's taxed at your own tax rates. CGT, no asset other than cash, and cash doesn't attract CGT. So I'm talking about short-term savings for experiences. So the advantages are building resilience and life experiences in your children, learning that hard work and good financial stewardships from the parents have afforded the family to do this activity, lots of family time to grow together and make some memories, I mean, there are some disadvantages. There's no hard dollars invested to grow for the future for the kid. Like that's just straight up. You've made the decision, we're going to buy experiences and not amass wealth. You may have to cash flow any educational expenses. The disadvantages, there are risks of kids becoming entitled brats if the education piece around money and what a dollar is worth and privilege is not actively talked about and instilled. We recently did a family holiday to Bali and I mean, there were numerous times where my sister told her kids, because it really wasn't my place, to just acknowledge how lucky they are to be here and look around. There's not many kids. Like, you guys are very lucky. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I need to start a new thread. Give me parenting tips um, that you can all disagree on. But yeah, look, you guys get it. So other considerations with this model. You may choose to set up a small investing account in your own name for the child with superficial amounts to teach your children about investing. So this could be like $20 a month, $10 a month or something just to teach them, but we're not wholesale pumping $500, $400, $300 a month into kids' investing accounts. And have the kids buy into various experiences. Like 
All right, Johnny, you're responsible for helping research three options of museums to visit in Rome. Look, just travelling with my niece and nephews very recently as a family, I'm actually tempted to stop contributing to their investment bond and just let the capital build from now, just let the capital grow because I put money in each kid's bond every month. I'm half thinking to stop that and just do an annual holiday with them. Yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting how my perspective has changed with all this research that I've done for the Investing for Kids piece with personally holidaying with the kids and going overseas with the kids and spending time with them. So, yeah, this is a real option. Now let's have a listen to what Neil has to say. Neil's a regular in the Facebook group. He's been on the show before. Over to you, Neil. Hey, Glenn, it's Neil. I've seen a topic come up in the Facebook group time and time again. It's about investing for your kids. I've got three kids. They're 10, 8, and 6. And I've had lots of ideas about trying to invest for them over the last few years. I've opened up investment bonds. I've had two of those. Didn't work out so well. I've researched opening up informal trust accounts with an online stockbroker. That doesn't look straightforward. And it seems like if you get it wrong, according to the ATO, there could be some unwarranted and unwelcome tax implications. I'm not considering investing so much money that it's really worth paying a professional tax accountant. I suspect a lot of us just want to invest a few hundred dollars or a couple of grand and hope for the best. I'm currently thinking about opening up superannuation accounts for them. But what I've realized is that I had an amazing childhood provided by wonderful parents. and They invested in themselves. They managed their money sensibly. They paid off their mortgage as early as they could. And they had enough left over to take me and my brother on lots of great holidays. Some of them were just day trips to the beach or a driving holiday around Ireland. Maybe a fortnight in Marbella in Spain. They also paid for my trip to the World Scout Jamboree in Japan and Korea when I was a kid. And I'm really grateful for those memories. And I've realized that I want to give my kids similar wonderful memories, not just a big lump of money when they get older. I'm going to a conference in Las Vegas in October, and I'm going to spend their inheritance. No, not on the in the roulette tables. The family's going to come with me. I'm going to take them out three weeks early before the conference. We're going to have a driving holiday around California. We'll take them to Yosemite and to Death Valley, down to the Big Sur and up to the Sierra Nevada mountains. And we'll go to Disneyland. And of course, they'll get to go to Legoland. Hopefully, when they're older, they'll have some memories to cherish, but they might have to save up for their own house deposit. That's just my two cents. I know everybody has different ideas and opinions on this topic, but uh, it's great that you're uh, having the debate. Thanks so much for helping us out in everything you do. Bye for now. Okay, thanks, Neil. Right, a recap before we move on. The six options of how to invest for kids is one, in your own name. Two, an informal trust arrangement. And the first two here, they're the most popular. And the second, you know, the informal trust arrangement, I reckon 90% of people aren't doing it right anyway. The third is an investment or education bond. The fourth is setting them up a superannuation account. The fifth is, you know, a formal trust, which, and we haven't touched on a special disability trust, but effectively, if there is a bit of wealth and there's a significant disability of a child, a special disability trust may be used and then they would be considered accepted income and taxed at the main tax rates. And then investing in experiences. What are you going to do? I reckon most people probably should just look at building wealth in their own name. And you can do all options, but like, what about 
the wholesale amounts, just build wealth in your own name and just do superficial amounts for the kids just to have them buy in. I don't know. They're your kids. It's your money. You do you. I'm just here to give you the options. But what we'll do, we'll leave it there. This will end part one and we'll come back with part two and I'll just talk about all your frequently asked questions. I'll answer some individual questions from the Facebook group and I'll also talk about some generosity and financial habits uh, that you can use with your kids or nieces and nephews. So thank you so much for listening. If you have found this beneficial, please leave us a review wherever you are listening to this or forward it to a friend. That's how we grow the podcast, word of mouth. So thank you so much. My name's Glenn James and this was Investing for Kids Part 1 on My Millennial Money. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.